Okay, another opportunity for all of us to step outside of the regular rhythm of our lives to, as part of that rhythm, set this time aside to dig into the word of the Lord. The word that draws us closer to Jesus, the word that shows us the heart of the Father. And this morning is no different, I pray. So Lord, as we dig in now, just for these minutes together, pray you'd refresh us. Pray you'd speak to us. And I pray you draw us close. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Is that one working, Malcolm? <clears throat> Marvellous. Okay, I'm not going to do a full recap this morning of where we're at, but we're in our Refreshing the Foundations sermon series. And so far we've looked at the three relationships. We're thinking about the ancient past. We stood at the crossroads at the beginning of the year, realised we're disciples called to walk in the ancient past, the ways that bring peace and life, uh, this walk of faith, discipleship. And we looked at the most important things to Jesus, loving God, he said, this is the foundation of all of it. And we realised and recognised Jesus' priority was the Father, that we get to know him, that we know this relationship with Father God. Do you remember this idea of Jesus going, have you met him yet? You're going to love him. He's amazing. Get to know Father God. Love him with all you have as he loves you. Loving our neighbour as we love ourselves. And we looked at the fact that all of us are called to make a difference. God has plans for all of us. The way we love uh, is important. And as we love ourselves, not a direct command to love ourselves, but a reminder to explore and think about what is a right understanding of who we are now. That the lies, as Ali so beautifully explored with us, now fall away. And we understand what God says about us. We had that fantastic step aside with Tim the other day. Also, a reminder of discipleship is giving Jesus our yes in everything, being led by him. And this morning, having looked at these three foundational relationships, God, our neighbour or others, and the right understanding of who we are ourselves, um, we're going to continue this series and uh, the next three weeks we're looking at a new passage. It is the Micah 6-8 passage. Um, and here we find... Oh, that was exciting. That is not it. That is quite cool, though. Can you bring up the... I think it's got to be clicked on the um, PowerPoint for it. Now, I'll try again. No. <laughs> here we go. Wait for it. Try again. Make sure the PowerPoint is... is yeah, front window. Yeah, look at that. Thank you so much, Gracie Legend. Um, And we get this sentence, and actually uh, here we find a single sentence that spells out or or, 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 uh, shows us an extraordinary vision of who we are to be, what is to mark us out as God's people, these three characteristics that should set us apart. If you ever come and say hi to me in my study during the week, you'll find them up on the wall. They mean a lot to me and so many others. Micah writing a prophet 700 years before Jesus to a people who had lost their way. But he kind of says to them, it's not that you didn't ever know the way. You've always actually known the way. He's asking them to refresh their foundations again. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you, question mark? As if they should already know. It is to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Something about this 2,700-year-old sentence that is still beautifully simple and powerful and profound in today's complex modern world, isn't it? 
act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So this morning we're going to look at what it means to act justly. Uh, But before, or as we begin to do that, I want to start, and someone here will recognise this word erosion, um, because it comes from a conversation I was having, a couple of conversations I had actually this last week. Let me tell you why I want to talk about um, erosion. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, So a few years ago, we lived as a family in Surrey. And uh, we realised that the little spot that we were was really close to some of the best theme parks in the country. This was a great discovery. We were quite excited. Within an hour, we could be at Thorpe Park or Legoland or Chessington World of Adventures. They're all owned by the same company, so we got this special mega pass me and Becky, with the little tiny toddlers, didn't have to pay at that point. And we realised that every day off I got, we could just get in the car and go to a theme park. It was so exciting. Chessington World of Adventures, extraordinary. It's a zoo. It's a... And a, a no plug, they're not paying for this. Um, uh, a zoo, uh, like a... What do you call it? Sea Life Centre. Um, and also full of extraordinary rides. Um, and we used to go every single week. And our favourite... Uh, ride turned out because the kids were little was this ride called Bubble Works and it was an exciting ride. You got into this little boat and you bobbed along this river and it was indoors and you went into this bubble factory and there were uh, cartoon scientists all over these models making bubbles and silly machines and lights and this fanfare music pum 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 we're all there clapping and cheering until it goes round to the great finale which is in this big dark enclosure with these fountains all lit up with light and the fanfare goes dum 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 and you're all going, yeah, this is amazing. And we love bubble works. And the kids would cheer and the adults would cheer. Come on! But it turns out, <laughs> it turns out, that if you go to bubble works every week, and because it's in the winter, no one else is there, and you go on bubble works three or four times every time you go, it becomes painfully awful. <laughs> it turns out that you get in the river boat and the fanfare grates in your ear. Oh, no. And everything that's moving, you're like, yeah, I know that. And every surprise is predictable. And you get, you get to the finale and you're just so fed up and your eyes are glazed. And you're like, and wet. And out you go. What had happened? What had happened? Well, our joy and our sensitivity to the wonder of the ride had been eroded through over-familiarity. The wonder had been worn away. And actually, as human beings, this is something we can all face all sorts of areas of our life. And actually, things are far more significant than a silly bubble works ride. It doesn't exist anymore, by the way, if you're suddenly wanting to go to Chessington. I'm afraid it's gone. Missed your chance. But actually, erosion can happen to our friendships, things we love doing, our pastimes maybe, to our relationships, even to our marriages, to our work. Our passion for things which once engaged us can become eroded. And it's not just through over-familiarity. It can be, well, our joy and our sensitivity, our desire to do these things can be eroded by disappointment or distraction or exhaustion or lack of engagement or under-investment, actually, neglect. Truth is, if we're not careful, this can also happen to our faith. I was talking, as I said, to two friends this week and the conversations really echoed and joined up. And I didn't really sort of lead either that way. It's just what God was kind of saying to them in these conversations. And 
Both of them felt that through this lockdown period, actually something has eroded in so many of us from our commitment and engagement with God. Nothing necessarily huge. Our faith's not gone anywhere, but, but something subtle has been eroded and we were trying to explore it. This period of staying at home, of reduced contacts, of not needing to go to church in person, of not needing to give up too much time or make too much effort in our faith, our commitment, it's eroded something. One described it like sandpaper, very gently rubbing away at the foundations day in and day out. And I think it's happened not just here, but across the nation. I received an email this week in my inbox called, it's for church leaders, helping people to step up in a time of stepping back. And it says that the majority of evangelical churches, like we are, are seeing far less people volunteering or committing to things since the pandemic. And actually, I'm not up here to judge, because it's really understandable, isn't it? This feeling that, well, actually, I've kind of got used to not having to always go out to church on a Sunday, um, and perhaps I don't want to this morning. Perhaps I'll just take a week off or watch it at home or... Perhaps not even that. Maybe I, I need to prioritise my family or go for a walk. I don't really want to volunteer or engage in too much stuff again as I prefer my space and I need to look after myself. I don't really feel like pressing in with prayer or church just at the moment or my relationship with God right now. I'm tired. And I don't want you to mishear me because I'm not a judgmental kind of person. It's just not how I preach and it's not what I think the Father ever wants to do. I am not passing judgement on any of these things some of them actually have wisdom in them, don't they? I think all of us have learned about not overcommitting. We've discovered priorities that we'd forgotten before. We uh, have all learned about something about not burning out. And yet I do want to say, and for many of you, you're still at home, and that is right, okay? This is not about why aren't you here. That's not what I'm saying. Please do not mishear. This is an observation. Um, and you're at home for good reason, many of you, um, not least for health reasons. But my observation is that in this collective trauma we've all been through, we've been wounded, shaken, and lulled into this more isolated and less engaged existence, I believe that for many of us, and I recognise it too, something vitally important somewhere has begun to be eroded. Something about our spark or our passion, our commitment, our willingness to step up and sacrifice for Jesus and for our church family. It's been eroded. And do you know what? It might just be because we're all quite tired. And that's all right. I understand that. But perhaps the saddest thing of all for any believer is when that through the tough times we realise that we've actually let our relationship with Father God become eroded. The heartbeat of the Father. Use this, follow this analogy with me. The heartbeat of the Father has grown dimmer in our ears and in our lives. I wonder if you recognise that. You sense you've lost something, perhaps some of your zeal or passion. Do you feel okay about it? Do you want to know it once again, burning brightly inside of you? I know I do. And so this is why we're looking at refreshing the foundations again. And as we look at this foundational act, this call, rather, to act justly, if you look up the definition of justice, and I need to be quick here this morning, because I've got bits that I want to say, and then I want to get, get stuck into a time of worship to close. But you'll read that the definition of justice is, it's a moral ideal, it's a philosoph philosophical theory, it's a legal principle, isn't it? Of right judgment, of 
equality of treatment under the law, the opposite of justice, perhaps is even easier for us to understand, injustice, corruption, discrimination, fraud, deceit, unfair treatment of some, privilege given to others, the stepping on the weak by the strong, the abuse of the vulnerable by the powerful, the neglect of the poor by the rich. The truth is we often know injustice when we see it because it can stir something deep within, and I have written in my notes here, um, to say, just see the tears and deep anger in a child who senses something is unjust. And we saw it this morning. Bless Bethia. She illustrated what we all feel. That's not fair. That's not right. That's unjust. She's right. She's right. It was. The sense of injustice is a force to be reckoned with in a child. And this week, I found myself watching a documentary on. Uh, the television uh, about uh, the, the presidential election in, in Zimbabwe in 2018. Now, please don't come back to me on this. I don't know all the facts, but what I do know is what I saw was deeply, deeply unjust. And I saw the oppression and the crushing of opposition, and I saw power holding on to power through violence, and I saw people shot with live gun rounds because they were protesting, and it was a tragedy. And through fudging and lying, those in power managed to hold on to power. And I found myself squirming in my seat. I found myself getting pasty and sweaty. And my, like it's happening now, my, my hands go white. And I, I was shouting to the Lord, Lord, because I didn't know how it ended. I was like, Lord, please let your kingdom come. Please, Lord, let your will be done. And that's the point, isn't it? Because that is what justice is. That is how we should understand justice. It's not simply philosophical, legal, moral. It's actually the perfect rule and reign of the one who is perfectly just. Father God. Justice is the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, as we've been praying this morning. did not come from the mind of men. It comes from the very being, the nature of God. Because all of us are made in God's image. All of us have a sense Don't we? We have the capacity to recognise injustice, respond to it, try and seek what is fair and right, and yet tragically, because of our brokenness, our sin, selfishness, we also have the most amazing capacity to ignore it, to overlook it, to grow numb to it, to be burnt out by it, to allow our care to be eroded for matters of justice. Yet in this talk about acting justly, I don't this morning want to just give you a big list of things to do recognise where we're at. I do recognise so many of us are tired. And actually, if I just gave you a list of charities and petitions and activist events you must get involved in, one or two of you are like, yeah, this is it, I'm off. And the rest would just be like, oh, I just feel guilty and I don't know what to do and we'll just feel burnt out. Instead, I want to do something different. I want to encourage you this morning to invite the Holy Spirit to come and draw you closer to Father God. That's what I want to do this morning. That's it. If I ran out of time now, that would be it. You see, in the past, far too often, Christian church has divided itself between churches that want to focus on the love of God, rightly displayed through social justice, and then others who want to focus on the presence of God by an encounter with His Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm uh, I'm making this simple, but there definitely has been that divide. Um, in the past decades, both sides were suspicious of each other. And Oh, you're wishy-washy and you're liberal and you're, you're just swinging on the chandeliers and you don't care and you, you don't know the Lord and all this stuff. But actually, 
Both positions are missing each other. I firmly believe that. Because justice and the presence of God by his spirit must go hand in hand. Because true justice is the outworking of the Father's heart. That's what justice is. If I was to give you a definition, justice is the outworking of the Father's heart. It's precisely because of this that it's always intrinsically and inseparably connected to the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God with us. Because he, the Spirit, is the one who draws us into the Father's presence, enables us to hear his heartbeat. And when we do hear his heartbeat, his passionate and swerving heartbeat for the least and the last and the lost. And his heartbreak at so much of the injustice in our world. Scars and abuses and hurts so many individuals and societies and our, even our planet. What the Holy Spirit does is he begins to break our heart for what breaks the Father's. He begins to open our eyes to the things that the Father sees. And the same Holy Spirit then begins to strengthen us as his people, empower us to action. The same Holy Spirit gives us heavenly insights and favour and solutions as we campaign and work for the Father's perfect justice to become a reality in this world, to let his kingdom come. It will never come in fullness until Jesus comes back again. But the call as his people is to come and be part of that breaking in today, making a difference today, that the Lord, the glory of the Lord would be known today in our world. Today's talk is on justice, but I hope you understand why I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. I hope that makes sense. Okay, let's whiz through some things because I want to just talk about the Holy Spirit and justice. You see, when you open your Bible, when you open your Old Testaments, you will not be able to avoid calls and cries passionately justice in this earth. Not just metaphorical justice, but real, solid, flesh and blood justice to happen. Cries against injustice from the Testaments, but why, uh, from the prophets, but why were these prophets of old so passionate and so focused on issues of justice? Well, it's because in a time when the Spirit of God did not rest upon his people as a general rule, the Spirit came and dwelt and rested on certain folks, on the prophets. Because of that, they had the presence of Father God with them. They heard his heartbeat. They learned his cry for justice. And they responded. But everyone else was deaf to it. They heard the heartbeat of Father God. Just listen to the prophet Isaiah in chapter 61. I won't read all the words. But chapter 61 of Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me What? To proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then in verse 8, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. God doesn't hate anything. Yes, he does. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them, Father God says through his prophet. Can you hear the heartbeat of the Father in that? Can you hear it this morning? Spirit of God's anointed the prophet. Now he must declare and demand the outworking of the Father's heart in this world. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 82. How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. 
Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. It's the Father's heart. Can you hear it? And hear the great cry of Amos. Hate evil. Love good. Maintain justice in the courts. Away with the noise of your songs, says God. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never failing stream. It's the Hear it. And turn to your Bibles to the New Testament and just hear the mighty cry of Jesus. Right from the beginning of his ministry, he steps into that synagogue in Galilee, in his hometown, grabs the Old Testament scroll of Isaiah, and what words does he read? Yes, these ones. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And having read it, he sat back down and declared, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, as a man, was filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And because of it, he had the perfect relationship with his heavenly Father. So he declares the Spirit had anointed him to bring the outworking of the Father's heart that he knew so well here on earth, to bring the kingdom, to bring justice. And we see the passion of Jesus, the echo of the Father's heart in his passion, his passionate judgment against injustice. And I can't go through all of them, but basically he says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You do all this Tithing, but you've neglected the most important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, faithfulness. Woe, says Jesus to you. This is no meek and mild Jesus. He looks at the corrupt system of power that sought to big itself up, dressed up in the language of God, at the expense of the poor and the powerless, and he curses them for the disgusting injustice of it all. Again, he says, you experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Jesus is so in tune with the Father's heart that he cannot hold back. Woe to you for the injustice which you relish in. Be cursed, says the Son of God. Gosh, wow. Jesus, meek and mild, is not there. Jesus, passionate for the Father's heart to be outworked on this earth. When he enters the temple, well, you know the story, he can barely contain himself at what he sees. Burning passion, he turns over the tables, swings a heavy rope to drive out the cheaters and the thieves, seeking to extort money from the poor in the name of God. The system that was so wrong, the deep sadness is that this was supposed to be the very place of prayer and presence. The place where God's people could draw near and hear his heartbeat. And then be changed and live a life of justice and mercy and humility in response. But instead became a den of cheaters and robbers. A place of injustice. Get out, Jesus says. Get out. Enough. Get out of here. We see the echo of the Father's heart. And the heartbreak we see in Jesus. Jesus feels for those on the margins. The poor on the streets. Scorned by society. Excluded from the feasts. He wants to include them. The next... Neglected leper cut off from his family, the vulnerable woman who condemned, was condemned to death for sin by the powerful who had sinned the same. A blind man told to shut up as he begged for help. The unclean woman despised because of her work, because of her demon possession. The crowds led astray by the religious elite were so desperate for a shepherd, but 
shepherd less. Jesus will not stand by and say, what can I do? He looks upon the victims of injustice and oppression in all its forms, the work of the enemy, the corruption of humanity. His heart breaks and then he acts to outwork the heart of his Father for them all, to declare the year of the Lord's favour. Come on. See, in John 5, criticised for healing a lame man on a Sabbath in his response to his critics, Jesus gives us the most extraordinary insight into the whole of his ministry. He says this. They say, why are you doing all this? He turns around and says, now my father is always at work to this very day. Therefore I am working too. Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does, for the Father loves the Son, and he shows him all he does. By myself I can do nothing, Jesus said. I judge only as I hear the word of the Lord, the word of his Father, and my judgment is just, perfect justice. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Jesus is saying, it's the Father's heart that I'm outworking. I know the Father so well, that when you see me act, it is his heart that I am outworking. Even though Jesus was fully God, he emptied himself of his divine privileges, but the dwelling of the Holy Spirit drew him close to perfect relationship with his heavenly Father. Relationship he wants us to know. It was the Spirit of God who led him here, the passion and the heartbreak of Father, inspired him and equipped him and strengthened him outwork that passion for justice on this earth. Because of that, the Father's heartbeat never grew dim for Jesus. Nor did his passion for the kingdom to come and his will to be done. And that's the life that you and I are invited into, brothers and sisters, those that have surrendered their lives to Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord has been given to you and to me to draw us close to the Father, to know his ways, to hear his heart. Do you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me, Jesus says, John 14. Father living in me who is doing his work. If you love me, you are going to do the same. You're going to keep my commands. I will ask the Father and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. He lives with you. He will be in you. You have surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to say you have received the Spirit of God within. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, within you, to draw you close to the Father's heart. That you may hear his heartbeat, that his heartbeat may never grow dim for you. His heartbeat of love, for the least, the last, the lost, the struggling for justice in this world. That you may proclaim good news to the poor, that you may bring freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, that through your words and actions and prayers and passion, the oppressed might go free as you declare the year of the Lord's favour. Oh, I must finish. But I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. Has your passion for justice, or rather has the heartbeat of the Father been eroded or grown dim in your life at all? You might remember a few years ago that photo of that Little lad, little boy, washed up on the shore, dead of our very nation. 
We didn't know his name. He wasn't from our parts. He was a child who belonged to a family who were desperate for a new life, new opportunities, to no longer live in fear and violence and poverty. And he ended up dead, drowned on our shores. And when the nation saw that photo of that little boy, it's like the father's heart broke through just for a moment for each of us in this land. Cut through the rhetoric of cockroaches and invasion and keeping them out, which was so popular at the time. Stopped us wanting to look after our own interests for a moment. Stopped calling us, stopped us calling to put up a drawbridge and pull it up and despise the other and the foreigner. For a moment, we as a nation began to respond to the voices. No, as we began to respond, the voices of accusation grew silent. And amazingly, so many people responded all over the nation. Locally here, Caris Refugees Charity was formed at that time as God's people heard the cry of the Father's heart. The truth is, as a nation, I don't know if you noticed, but it didn't take long for the grumbles to return. People grew tired, compassion fatigue set in, the same old worldly wisdom rose to the surface again. Oh yes, but we have to be sensible, etc., etc. Sure, but as we said all these things, the Father's heart grew dim again. That breakthrough moment didn't last for long. Passion for justice was eroded. I want to say this morning that migration injustice, educational injustice, climate injustice, legal injustice, political injustice, economic injustice, racial injustice, and it goes on and it goes on. These matters of injustice should always matter to us as Christians because they matter to the Father. They're not peripheral or secondary to Him, they're central. He is the one who is perfect justice. We should be, as God's people, at the forefront of addressing these issues. The world needs us to because we are the ones who bring the Spirit of God with us into that situation. We're the people that God has anointed for the task. So many others will do so many wonderful things that will put us to shame. Those that don't know Jesus will have caught this issue of justice and they are right to do so. The Father is desperate for his children to be involved. Because when we become involved... We're given heavenly strength and heavenly favour and heavenly insights and heavenly solutions. We bring the Spirit of God with us. It's not the kingdom of God if the Spirit isn't at work in it. Because there is no kingdom without the presence of the King. That's why he calls us to outwork the cry of his heart. To proclaim his justice. You don't have to talk to the guys at Caris for long to realise there's been unusual favour the work that they've done, still going today, leading the way, teaching others, seeing answers to prayer, welcoming broken and hurting families to a safe place in our nation. Long after the photo has been eroded from our collective memory, the heartbeat of the Father is still crying out for justice and we, his people, need to hear it.